How's the sequel going? Sequel sucks. Bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. I'll be back. Why won't you die? Prime, you can't die. Then reboot, damn it. Reboot complete. Thank you very much. Movies. Never say die. Welcome to Movies Never Say Die, a podcast with a singular focus, movies that are reboots, reimaginings, or sequels to other films. I'm Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. This is episode number nine. On this episode of Movies Never Say Die, we take a look at Solo, a Star Wars story. But first, here's a look at official announcements, rumors, and hearsay for upcoming reboots, sequels, and remakes, and our opening segment, In the Pipeline. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Pipeline. Pipeline. All right, first up in the pipeline today, we got a full, well, I think they call it the full trailer or trailer two, I can't remember, because the first one was a teaser, even though we talk about this all the time, we don't think they're actually teasers anymore. <laughs> Frozen 2, full trailer, get a little bit more of a idea of what's going on or what will happen in this film when it releases later I, later this year I can't remember when the release date is now uh, fall sometime in the fall I believe which actually makes total sense for Frozen and uh, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it <laughs> but, it seems to be like a fall motif there's a lot yeah. of leaves blowing around and stuff yeah I think so it looks, uh, the season that happens to be taking place <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, what did you think it's strange that I I think so much about the podcast now in terms of like, like I don't, I never just see trailers anymore. I always think about how we can apply it to the podcast or like, you know, in, I mean, you and I are always texting each other. Yeah. The, this trailer has come out, this trailer has come out. And uh, one of the first things I thought is that it seems as though they're going in the direction that you kind of assume they were going to go in where it looks like they're going to delve a little bit more into the parents. Yeah. Of Elsa and Anna in this one, and maybe look into some of the mystery of what happened to them. Maybe there's more going on than we were led to believe in the first one. Uh, we got a little bit of dialogue. We got a little bit of, I guess, I mean, I guess vaguely an idea of what the story might be a little more about. There's still not a ton of detail. There's, there's been no real look at any of the songs this might feature. If there's another "Let It Go" floating around in there, but. Again, it's very similar to the teaser in that you get a really good idea of what the mood is like, a really good look at who is going to be featured in this. And uh, again, you seem to be on the right track when we were talking about the original one in that it's, it's going to look a little bit more into what happens to the parents or at the very least something in the past that applies to what's happening with them now. I think on the surface of just being a trailer itself. I think it was very well done. It gave just enough away without giving too much away as, as a parent, it's just enough to make your kids want to go see this movie regardless. You know, they just know it's happening so they don't have to do too much. But right. what did you think of it when you first saw it? Yeah, it looks like, like you said, I, not to, you know, say that, yes, I was correct. I must be correct. <laughs> now, um, it seems like what I thought at first for the teaser trailer maybe uh where they actually might going or it could be totally different who knows but uh were those were those little rock creatures in the first i can't remember yeah they were the ones that raised Kristoff, who was 
the like the fur trapper that helps Anna right. initially go and okay. chase after Elsa. He's the one that's got Sven. He's with the reindeer and stuff. And so I think there were his family. And so I think there's, they, and I think there, there's some magic involved with them because I know that initially they, when uh, Elsa first injured Anna when they were kids in the beginning of the movie, the parents brought Anna to these little rock creatures to try and help them. And they like wiped her memory and all this stuff. And so there's some kind of magic involved with them. And so I don't know if they're going to delve a little deeper into that, but obviously they feature in the trailers, they've got to be a significant part of this film as well, or, you know, unless they're just tying it back into the first one, but yeah. Yeah. And then there's that whole, um, like little horse creature that, uh, that Elsa sees under the water. Oh, that's right. And uh, I think it shows up again, like, uh, you know, in the wind, maybe in one of the other scenes. So I'm curious what that, uh, what that is. And, you know, the, the little rock creatures say, something about we thought you know she was too powerful in the first movie or something like that and that now we're thinking is she powerful enough so what what other magic or forces are they going to be dealing with that uh that the two sisters and the and their merry gang will have to contend with <laughs> on their journey like i'm curious if there will be like because seems things like fire right seems to happen in a weird strange color in the forest in some of these scenes so i wonder if there's a uh someone with a, maybe an opposite sort of power to Elsa that pops oh, that's up. A, that's a good point. I hadn't actually thought about that, but it would make sense. There's, there's been no indication of who the antagonist in this is and what they're going against other than Elsa battling the ocean in that, in that opening clip of the trailer and the teaser. And we've really haven't found out anything about the, whoever the villain might be or an antagonist or whatever and so that's that's a good point i think about that either most likely another billion dollar movie coming forth for <laughs> for disney well i think they did the right thing i don't i don't think they rushed into it they obviously knew this was something special for them and they didn't want to create some random direct to dvd sequel and they didn't want to create something for the theaters that looks like a random dvd sequel and so i think they were smart in that they waited long enough to de- find a story that works for them to put the work into it and give it time that people have a little bit of distance between this one and the original, but still enough savvy to know exactly what's going to sell the movie. And so I, you know, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I harp on my kids all the time. I got kids. I'm going to go see it. There's no getting out of it. So. <laughs> but is this the, I'm trying to think, is this the first non, obviously non Pixar Disney, but the Disney animation studios to release in the theaters for a sequel because like you said usually it's direct to video direct to you know on demand that's a good point i don't actually know i'd have to i'd have to go back and and pour through the the history of the the two animation companies because it gets kind of tricky because once disney started using the computer animation it was a little it's almost difficult to differentiate the two companies now and so i know that I think Pixar doesn't do it a ton. I mean, I guess they've been doing it a little bit more recently. You got multiple Toy Stories, multiple Cars movies, multiple. I guess uh, Finding Nemo has a sequel now, and so it's. I think they're Pixar certainly definitely. Yeah. They didn't used to do it as much, but at least when they do it, they seem to put the care into it that it would warrant a sequel, and so it might be. That's a good point. It, it might actually be one of the first, if not the first, Disney Studios one not affiliated with uh, Pixar to do that. It's interesting. 
unless I'm, I'm missing something here, I'm kind of looking through the list of uh, Disney Animation and Pixar uh, releases. I think uh, late last year with Ralph Breaks the Internet, that might have been their first Disney Animation Studios, you know, in theater release of a sequel. I can't quite. Oh, was like that a, was Wreck It Ralph just a that's Disney? Disney, one? yeah, that's not Pixar. I know, like you said, with the 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 animation, all kind of they all look very similar now. I kind of miss the the drawing look style, even though they did use you know animation on some of those. I, I kind of miss that look of the movies a little bit. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. It's, it's tough because at the same time, I enjoy what they can do with the computer animation it's it, I, i'm definitely with you that i i miss what they used to be able to do with the animation i guess one of the last ones was looks like princess and the frog was probably one of the last or i guess tangled too tangled also i mean is that what it was yeah, called at, no no i just i it's it is tangled i meant tangled as well oh. <laughs> i didn't mean to imply it was the second one uh pl- i guess planes yeah, Planes, Fire, and Rescue was a sequel. But that's listed under Disney Toon Studios, and so I don't know if that's like yeah. another offshoot of Walt Disney. But I think, you know, if it's not the first, it's certainly a rare bird in that it's not something they tend to do very often. So, right. Not a good catch. You're with it today, man. Look at you. I'm firing all cylinders. <laughs> Veering back into my neck of the woods, we've got the latest Stephen King adaptation, the first teaser for the Stephen King film, Dr. Sleep. Of course, the sequel to The Shining, which he wrote 30, 40 years ago. The film was made by Stanley Kubrick in the early 80s. They had a ABC miniseries with Stephen Weber later on that Stephen King approved of a little more than The Shining that uh, Stanley Kubrick worked on. Do you do you know anything about Dr. Sleep itself, or what did you think of it? Dr. Sleep, no. And actually, I, I didn't even realize that this was this was coming down the pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was totally, totally taken aback by, by seeing the trailer when it was released. It has been, like, literally forever since I've seen anything shining related so i don't know much about dr sleep except for what i what i read uh, and after watching the trailer well so that's that's actually an interesting question then as somebody who hasn't seen it in a while somebody who hasn't read the book what did you think of it kind of on its own merits as a trailer for something that you don't necessarily have any previous knowledge of well it definitely looks it feels to me still like it's it's along the same lines right so it feels correct it feels like you know the next chapter in the in the same story in the stephen king story so that that's good that they conveyed that in a you know in a trailer (laughs) for for the next step but um and then reading about it you know reminded me that you know stephen king like you said was not fully into the you know Kubrick version and the oh he hated that, it yeah. <laughs> oh it's, let's not mince words he hated the Kubrick downplay version it a little bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I, I I think after I we saw I saw the trailer and I was you know texting with you about um and the uh, the director you know his name escapes me now that um, just in getting this off the ground that he needed to go to Stephen and say that he wanted to to be in the same universe as Kubrick and he knew that was probably maybe a sticking point but then 
he told Mr. King exactly how he was going and kind of got the green light. And then, uh, and then I said this to you, right? He's apparently he showed final cuts of the ver- of the film to both Stephen King and to the Kubrick uh, family estate or you know whoever's running that. And he said that they both enjoyed it, which is very amazing. Yeah, he must have done a pretty good job with it because it's one of the most well-known aspects of the Kubrick film outside of, you know, Nicholson's performance and everything that Stephen King hated what he did with it. He hated it so much that when he, that he pushed forward with this miniseries years later. I think it was ABC. It was an ABC miniseries, but I know Stephen Weber did the Jack Nicholson role, and that was supposedly hewing a little closer to the book. And so, like you said, the fact that he was able to get approval from Stephen King and the Kubrick estate having somehow managed to blend both worlds together. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a unique thing because you usually either go one way or the other, but the trailer itself had a bunch of different callbacks to the Kubrick movie. They, 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 it even had a, a musical cue at the end of it. There was a music cue towards the end of the Dr. Sleep trailer that was from the shining film, which is mm. strange that they're kind of going all in on it, but the Dr. Sleep book was written as a direct sequel to Stephen King's book, which has a lot of differences from the Kubrick movie. And so yeah. the fact the fact that this director was able to somehow balance that and make everybody happy, it's yeah, I'm very I'm very interested to see. I, I I I went to see Stephen King speak at George Mason years back right before you know before anybody even knew he was writing and he kind of surprised us as the audience he was you know he asked us he said i'm working on something do you mind if i read you a chapter from it of course everyone went crazy and then Mm -hmm. he told us it was a sequel to the shining which nobody knew was coming out he hadn't mentioned it to anybody yet and you know we got to hear a chapter from dr sleep before it even been announced he just read it to us and it was exciting and then you know dr sleep the book came out and there was a lot of disappointed fans just because it wasn't quite what people were expecting and it wasn't quite up to par with what people thought about the original book it was just such a classic that you know i i mean i i enjoyed it i liked dr sleep as a book a lot more than several of my friends who were also massive stephen king fans uh there's a friend of mine andrew who's a huge like junkie stephen king fan huge fan of the shining both the film and the book and he hated dr sleep like he had to slog through it and he was miserable and so but like I, I liked it a lot more than many people and I found out they were making a movie and I was kind of hesitant until I saw that Ewan McGregor was going to be in it and now that I've seen the teaser I think that it does exactly what you said I think they it does a really good job of conveying not only that this is a continuance of that story but it, it really has the same vibe has the same dread and quality of again somehow blending the book and the the Kubrick film together which is it's a unique beast and so I'm very excited to see what they do with it yeah it seems you know they hit a lot of the the big points and you know big shots from the the Kubrick movie yep. right they, they reshot all the stuff that calls back they literally like reshot you know, yes, the, you're right. The, yep. the tricycle down the hallway and the yep. you know the blood scene and uh and of course, you and McGregor are looking through the hole in the in the that door. That was awesome. It looks, I got it's so very excited. good. <laughs> so they're, they they certainly know what they're doing. It seems. Yeah, and they had the they got the twins in there. I think they may have. I think the only clip they used. I think there was a quick shot of the kid's face, 
from the original. I can't remember because I saw it a couple weeks ago. But otherwise, yeah, you're absolutely right. They reshot it all in painstaking detail because it looked like it came from the original movie. And then I yeah. read the same thing you did that they went and reshot it. And that's that's what I'm hoping. You see the attention to detail just in getting that kind of stuff right, and you hope that translates into the adaptation of the current book. And so it's definitely something that I'm excited about. And the next two we're going to talk about um, probably would be nowhere near. If you ask me over a list of old movies that they're going to make sequels of, like I would never in a million years come up with these two. Um, <laughs> the I'm first one, with that, yep. totally shocking me. Um, so I guess not Braveheart 2. It's called Robert the Bruce. All about you know that character from Braveheart. And this is... When did that come out? This is 20 years ago, maybe? Something like that? Uh, yeah, More than I that. think so. Yeah, about that late uh, late 90s, yeah. And you, you sent me the... I had no idea. You're the one that sent it to me, actually. I didn't see it anywhere that there was going to be this sequel to uh, to Braveheart uh, focusing on that character and uh, on the ensuing years after you know, William Wallace's death, I suppose. And I, Yeah, totally out of nowhere. And it's amazing they got the same actor to come back and do that. Yeah, I was I was as surprised as you were. I was just looking at my Google feed on my phone, and it just kind of throws out random headlines. And one of the headlines just said Braveheart Two, and I thought it was a joke. And I looked it up, and sure enough, it's just it's a continuation of that story with that character in that world. Twenty six, twenty twenty five, twenty six years later, like it's just yeah. I was incredibly surprised it came out or actually it hasn't come out yet it's come it's scheduled to come out today today when we're recording this june 23rd 2019 it's it's premiering at the edinburgh film festival and it's going to be released in the uk next week june 28th 2019 and it's it's just it's a thing like it's (laughs) a thing that nobody asked for (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you're asking me for my total honesty here yeah I mean, obviously, you know, historically, the death of William Wallace is not the end of Scotland's struggles with England, but... Uh, true. But definitely would not have thought that the, uh, a sequel to Braveheart was in the uh, in the cards. No, and like, and like you said, the fact that they got... Was it Angus McFadden, who or Fadden, who's yeah. played the character in 1995 to continue... It's just... Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded i mean who who thought this was a good idea to just say i mean like i can understand them maybe saying this like 20 years ago like in 2000 a few years later being like well let's continue the story let you know we've you know angus mcfain's around like but or fadian or whatever you pronounce his name but like yeah <laughs> like whose idea was it 20 something 25 years later to say let's continue the story he's still around let's have him portray robert the bruce and and you know, talk about the next chapter in this saga, like you said. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> well, we're going to have to watch it now. Oh, I'm assuming that it will not get a theatrical release here in the United States. Oh, that's a good point. I wonder if they are. I mean, it seems to be the only mentions I see are about the UK. There's nothing mentioned about a US release. And, uh, yeah, nothing at all. It just says... The trailer, though. I mean, the trailer. You know, the trailer looks interesting. It 
sure looks like any is. kind of intense period drama about that period of time but um yeah i don't uh didn't expect it i'll uh, i yeah i don't know i don't know enough about the the history of the two countries to really think if oh wait a minute so this <laughs> so this is interesting so uh-oh so angus a- angus mcfadden is starring in it obviously he's also producing it he co-wrote the screenplay and so he's like deeply involved in this so this seems like it might be kind of a passion project okay connected to him directly so that's that could make a little bit more sense if he's thinking you know if he, if he had this interesting connection to this and decided he wanted to move forward with telling more about it that that kind of that at least makes a little bit more sense Sure, it could have been be. something that he wanted to, you know, even immediately after Raveheart to to try and uh, focus on his his character, and then just you know the studios never wanted to you know capitalize on it or you know couldn't get funding. Who knows? And then perhaps Mel Gibson's uh, <laughs> history between then and now. A little colorful. A and little then busy. he may have wanted to wait a little bit till after that died down. Who knows? I'd want to distance myself from that whole situation, yeah. So maybe that's why it took 25 years. But yeah. I don't hate it. I just never would have expected it. No, no. I'm, I'm, it was tremendously shocking. But uh could be good. I mean, if it's, if it's the same level of production, if it's the same level of... You know, like the, the 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 care and the work that went into the first film. Then, I mean, I love Braveheart. I think it's an amazing movie, regardless oh, of great Mel Gibson losing it. But it was a good movie. <laughs> Definitely in the uh, examples of loving the art and not the artist. Sometimes, God, yes, it's like <laughs> that's that's easily one of the top examples of that situation. Yeah. Mm. And so the second half of, I think this is even longer because I think the first movie came out in like 90 or 91, another sequel yep. that I never would have thought of. Backdraft 2 came out or at some point and now is even, even on Netflix already, but came out direct-to-video within yep. the last couple months. Yep. I saw that when I was scrolling through Netflix and I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even watch the trailer at that point. I was just like scrolling through. I was like, I can't believe that this is a thing that exists now. Yeah, and apparently there's a few people from the first one. You've got Donald Sutherland showing back up as Ronald Bartell. You've got William Baldwin as Brian McCaffrey making a return. Um, I'm not sure if there's anybody else from the first film, but it, yeah, same, same situation. I, I don't, I don't know who thought to themselves, thirty years later, almost we need a backdraft too. <laughs> I, and I like the first one. I thought the first one, I mean, that's, uh, that's granted, great. I saw it my sophomore year in high school, so I don't know how well it's aged necessarily, but I liked it just fine at the time. And so I don't even, I have no idea. I mean, the, the plot is so, I mean, what's it say here on uh, IMDb? The sequel to the 1991 hit follows an investigator with the Chicago Fire Department who has to track down an arms dealer who uses deadly fires as a distraction. Now that sounds to me like somebody who wrote a script that didn't necessarily have anything to do with Backdraft, and then they titled it Backdraft 2 and kind of (laughs) 
kind of back wrote it into being a sequel. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Wikipedia synopsis says that um, the main character, uh, Sean McCaffrey, who is uh, the son of Kurt Russell's character in the first movie, is now a uh, fire investigator, of course. Well, I guess, you know, being in the, in the fire service very much runs in the family in real life. So he's, he's the fire investigator. Um, the brother, you know, Billy, William Baldwin, who, by the way, as they all age, they all start to look exactly the same. These Baldwins, but, like exactly the same to me. At least. He looks like Alec. He looks like Alec. He does. Does he? I'm curious. I got to look him up. Yeah, I watched the trailer. You know, just oh, did you see? It? Okay, before yeah. we uh, before we started true, recording, yeah. and it says you know has to discover clues they discover leading them down a treacherous path of arson, murder, and international terrorism. Which is also not that something sounds... you would expect a whatever is it New York or Chicago? I can't remember. Uh, fire investigator, fire investigator. But it works well for us this week because this was directed the original directed by Ron Howard, and uh, there you go. We'll be talking about Solo uh, this episode also. Well, finished directed by Ron Howard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do. I actually Backdraft is a really good movie from what I remember, and. Uh, here we are, back to F2, 20, 28 years later. Yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe we'll take a look at it when uh, we're running out of recent stuff. We can dip in and see what the hell's going on with Backdraft 2. Or because, like, before this episode, I was saying I hurt my back because I turned 40 recently. <laughs> Maybe I can't make it to the theater and I should just watch something on Netflix. That's it. Just a whole bunch of direct-to-video stuff because we're <laughs> too old to go to the theater. <laughs> Uh, well, I've got surgery this coming week, and so I'm just going to be laid up and watching a whole bunch of Netflix stuff while I'm recovering, so that's what we'll do. We All of a sudden, we'll just have a slew of episodes dedicated to stuff you could get on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Why not? There's a whole lot to yeah. get into there. I mean, it's it's tough because the trailer for, you know, if you looked at these two movies that were kind of unexpected, the trailer for... Uh, the theoretical Braveheart sequel here looks like it belongs in a theater. The production values looked higher, whereas Backdraft 2 very much <laughs> looked like a video-on-demand film with its uh, least of brief clips of acting and cinematography and stuff. It looked... It's a very short trailer. It's like 40 <laughs> seconds long. <laughs> Backdraft 2, go see it. Here's here's, here's a shot of Donald Sutherland. Here's a shot of Billy Baldwin. They're back. They're very old. Backdraft. (laughs) Up next in the pipeline, also something I wasn't necessarily expecting to see. This news I actually got from my partner in crime, Mr. Justin St. Ange. Steven Spielberg remaking West Side Story. Which, again, not a whole lot to know about necessarily, except that uh, I think you said that I guess they're planning on keeping it in the same time period, like back in the 50s? Yeah, from what I read, it's a full-on remake, period piece, New York, 50s, the, you know, obviously the Jets and the Sharks, the... uh... The white gang and the Puerto Rican gang. I, as far as I know, it's like straight up 
remake. And then, and then in that in that case, I don't understand necessarily why you would do something like this. Obviously, the caliber of Steven Spielberg is one thing to look at what he can bring to a story like this. But and you and I were talking about this previous to the podcast. You would think he would add some kind of spin to it. He would do something different with it because it's not like the original West Side Story has special effects that need to be updated or it has acting that's you know shaky for the time period or it has songs that need to be made better like it's a classic film fantastic songs award-winning stuff you know and the and the one on the one hand maybe like I don't know, within the last decade or so i think they remounted a broadway version of it okay it, and I, I went to see it with my wife, my mother, because my, my mom's favorite movie, the old one. And that makes sense because that's a different medium. You get the immediacy of live theater and, I, and they you know made some changes, some tweaks. But in this case, it really just seems like they're making the same movie in 2019 with a different director and a different cast. I don't necessarily see what he's going to add to it outside of his Steven Spielbergness, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you like how you feel about it. Yeah. It just seems in, I only in the little bit that I read about it. Um, I'm sure he will take his own liberties, you know, with the story here and there, perhaps maybe there'll be a new musical number. Who knows? But just having it almost, the setting is exactly the same. And the time, you know, in, in history, the same, it just, uh, I don't know. It seems like there was, there was more, to be done like you said it's essentially the romeo and juliet story updated for you know when it came out why not update it for when his movie is going to come out i mean i'm not sure you know the the gang it's all fiction of course but you know in gang stories you know in modern modern day big city i don't know maybe he could have done something in the 80s or the 90s you know in the west coast or something you know just kind of change it up a little bit at all <laughs> well it's not even like every single thing about race is fixed in 2019 like you know maybe you don't want to make a completely modern day version of this but to you know there, there's plenty that's happened i mean you you make this point exactly it's perfect what you just said like the there between 1950 and now there's still a ton you can do with race in the u.s in different parts of the world make it your own why he's choosing to stay in the 1950s and make such a similar remake and again it's steven spielberg he is i'm sure going to do something fantastic and i was reading about it and it looks like uh who is it that was in it uh it looks like um rita moreno who was she got an oscar for playing a need in the first movie is actually in this as valentina Okay. who's an adaptation of the doc character who owns the store where Tony works. And so they're switching that up a little bit. And she's also a producer of the remake. So there's some connections to the old one while they're doing, you know, stuff a little bit different. They've obviously switched the gender of the store owner and going to do something a little different with her. But I don't know. There's, there's, there's nothing about this necessarily where I see it. And I think it's this amazing revolutionary idea. And I mean, I could be completely wrong when I see it, but, yeah, I don't I don't get it necessarily. I was surprised when you told me about it. I hadn't heard anything about it and I don't necessarily think it was on the radar of something I thought needed to be redone. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we're all for embracing the 
the reboot, the remake, the, the sequel here at Movies Never Say Die. That's kind it's of our kind theme. of our bread and butter. Yeah. yeah. But then you still need to get into, you know, why these movies get made. Like, even those little changes, you know, it's great that Rita Moreno is involved because, you know, obviously she was amazing in that one and essentially is amazing, period. She's an ego, oh, I believe. So, I mean, she, she is, you're correct, yeah. yeah. Um, so amazing uh, in that way. And even with a straight remake, you know, with all that tiny pieces changing, Steven Spielberg, it may be a great movie, but but why <laughs> honestly flashing through my head when i saw this was that gif of ryan reynolds from uh from harold and kumar in the operating room but why but why <laughs> that's one of my favorites is a good one yeah that's all i got about that it can be amazing but but why that's really all i have to say about it okay and our last part on today's pipeline maybe the biggest but why i've ever come across in the time that we've been doing this show kevin hart is looking to do a reboot of scrooge looking for writers as we speak and most likely for him to star i say again in a reboot to scrooge <laughs> Uh, talk me down man (laughs) (laughs) listen i know we're supposed to be reboot positive here on movies never say die i know we're supposed to be encouraging or at least critical but i don't know that i've been this irrationally angry and worked up about news for a film in a very long time you and i spent half an hour texting back and forth just random vitriol and rage and confusion and sadness that they're even considering this. And you know what's the dumbest part is later... I mean, I think we talked about it in the texting. Scrooge itself was an adaptation of A Christmas Carol from Charles Dickens. And I'm still... Like, I, I, all I can think to myself is like, you know, fine, do another version of A Christmas Carol. Do another exactly. Charles Dickens type thing. But why would you... Why would you mess with Scrooged, man? <laughs> oh I my don't god, I can't talk you down. I don't know. We can't talk each other down. We're both up there. <laughs> yeah, we're both up. There. At least we're together. Oh my god, <laughs> on the edge, um, on the ledge, and uh, yeah, like. So, if you all listening don't really know how our schedule, we have a very not so set in stone schedule and how we <laughs> we do these shows and record, but. When that news came out, we were like literally in the middle. Like we never, we wouldn't even be close to recording, but we were very close to just going home that day, so just that we could recording a screed against this news right when it's you know in on the the forefront of our minds. But we knew, we knew we could bring our minds back to that no matter what. Oh, it's easy to get back to that place. Let me tell you. Yeah, because I said I said to you at the time, like, and you're absolutely right. This is you know kind of like what we were talking about West Side Story, which is just Romeo and Juliet. I mean, and, and Scrooge is just an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, and why can't why can't he just do his own? So is he going to be uh, what is it a, a TV executive or right? I mean, like Bill Murray was. It's just just do your own version of it. I told you it would be like doing Romeo and Juliet, but doing the DiCaprio and Claire Danes version, just remaking that instead of just doing your own version of Romeo and Juliet. I just it it makes no sense. Now, granted, I think Kevin Hart is funny. 
I think he's very funny. I've liked a lot of the stuff he's done, and I, I've liked to stand up. And I, and I would even be interested in seeing him do a version of him as the Scrooge character. I just don't understand. I mean, there's a lot about Scrooge that is a product of its time. I mean, it was made in, what, 1988? It was an 88 film, I think. I think and so. It was very specifically of its time. There was a lot of, you know, I mean, they had the the solid gold dancers as being part of their production. They had a lot of very specific characters and plot lines for the late 80s kind of ridiculous TV special event boom kind of thing. And there's there's certainly a lot of stuff about that movie that could be updated. There's... I'm sure there's elements of it that if you look at it 30 years on, there's there's probably elements of it that are, uh, you know, if you get, like, deep into, like, social implications, like, you know, there's probably some racist elements, there's probably some sexist elements, you know, there's... there's but but I, I, I never looked at it as something that needed to be fixed or updated necessarily. And, I mean, I watch it. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. I come in with a complete bias. <laughs> I mean, you know, I there's certain Christmas movies I watch every year. Scrooge is one of them. It's so dark and it's so weird and it's and 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 Bill Murray is such a huge part of what makes that movie what it is. I mean, everybody, the casting of that, Bill Murray and Bob Goldthwaite and the three ghosts uh, Christmas past present future uh Carol Kane uh I can't remember who the hell was the one from Christmas Past. Uh, God damn it, I can't remember his fucking name. I always want to say Buster <laughs> Poindexter because I think that's his stage name. God damn it. Whoever the fuck he was, he was, he was good. <laughs> uh, was David something? David uh, says David Johansson is the actor's yes, name. Yes, that's him. God damn it. <laughs> oh, just fired up. We care about remakes. They just have to be the right ones. <laughs> the way we think they should be. <laughs> and if he... It could totally... It could turn out to be just his version of a, the Dickens story, but the fact that he wants to remake... It's, it's so specific. Scrooged. I mean, plus the title is fantastic, you know. Scrooged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Whosever who's idea that was is brilliant, but... Yeah, that... Uh, I would say I lost words, but obviously not. I just don't get it. Well, and I get the idea. Like, there's, there's, and everybody's got different feelings as to what they feel are sacred films that can't be touched. I mean, there seems to be a general consensus for certain films. Like, there, there likely isn't anybody out there that's going to want to remake Citizen Kane. There's nobody that's tried remaking Casablanca or Gone with the Wind. Like these big classic films. But even you know, even look if you look at horror movies. The Exorcist is considered something that's kind of sacred and nobody want to remake it, but it's got like six sequels. Yeah. Which are basically remakes of that first one when you really look at it. And and something like that, like It's a Wonderful Life is another Christmas movie. I can't imagine someone saying, oh, It's a Wonderful Life needs to be upda- upgrade, updated in some way. When again, there are things very specific about that film that that you need like you need you need a certain combination of the the creative people involved the time that it's made you know the time period that it's made and you know the plot itself there, there's a certain 
almost like a chemistry of things that need to combine to make a certain film. And It's a Wonderful Life was a product of its time, the creative forces behind it, and its subject matter. And I think Scrooge is the same way. I think that you can't necessarily do that again in a way that would feel satisfying and that you'd create another Christmas classic necessarily. I don't know. I I know we sound crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And we are crazed about this, I suppose. It's made us crazy. It really has. Like you and I have had several different texts back and forth. We're like, Oh, we're, we're talking about it this weekend. And I don't even think we're nearly as articulate articulate as we were about it when we first started texting. I think there was probably more cursing in the original text stream. Uh, Perhaps. But... Half and half. (laughs) There were words other than swears in our text stream. I know there were. But yeah, I just... I think it's a bad idea. I think that there's other ways to make an adaptation of Christmas Carol that isn't necessarily trampling on something that you know and and, i mean maybe no movie should be sacred maybe there's nothing out there that should be off limits but this is just one of those movies that just doesn't it just it just didn't sit right with me at all like didn't it didn't i mean again i mean (laughs) i see news about sequels and remakes and reboots all the time and part of me is like oh we can do an episode on that and part of me is like oh i can't wait to see it but very rarely do I, you know, and part of me is just kind of indifferent to some stuff. Like, oh, it's a stupid idea. I don't want to watch it or whatever. But this is really one of the first times that I've gotten this worked up over something. You know what I mean? Like, I, don't, I mean, oh, you, yeah. seem, you seem to be in kind of the same boat. Definitely. And, you know, like I've said before, we we love the remake and the reboot, but it's it's so, I don't know. There, of course, have been great reboots remakes sequels but let's say as as a as a storyteller as a creative you're if you remake a movie like scrooged or even west side story or something like that you're never going to capture that same kind of feeling that the first movie had right i mean no matter how well you do it it's not and even if you change some things and obviously with a kevin hart lead it would be very different but that's true but if you're just kind of like piggybacking off of, you know, the original in what doesn't seem like a, a meaningful way, well, which may, many reboots maybe don't fall in that category, but yeah, I just can't can't get over why not just make your own version of A Christmas Carol and, and just start from there as opposed to saying, besides, of course, the fact that they want to slap the word the title scrooged on there and have people come show up to the theaters i don't know it's it's, one of these things things like this is the reason why even though we're not on that side people hate hollywood for not having original ideas (laughs) that's true that's definitely true yeah and even and and you actually make a good point like i think i'm almost positive that i can't remember who who was behind it but didn't they make kind of technically a remake of the movie airplane called soul plane i i know of the movie i haven't seen it now great i mean like i don't i don't know if it's necessarily a remake per se but it's kind of a silly comedy based on you know you know the same idea of like you know silly stuff happening in the air primarily african-american actors oh kevin hart's in it kevin hart is in Soul Plane. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but you know, but they they kind of went, you know, it was kind of sold as a, as you know, at least the idea of kind of being a takeoff of airplane, you know, kind of like a quote unquote urban take of airplane. But at least they kind of did their own thing. They they had a different title. They weren't piggybacking off the airplane name, but they said, you know, what if we do something that was more geared towards the African American audience, featuring you know uh, actors from the african-american community and still doing their own thing like it's not like they just did the same stuff that happened in airplane it was still silly it was still the same vibe but it wasn't like they just redid all the crazy things that happened in the original airplane film which again that was what this uh, soul plane was 2004 airplane was the early 80s obviously things are going to be a lot different yeah but at least they did their own thing. They kind of said, well, this is inspired by Airplane, but they did their own thing. Whereas in this case, you know, at least the news I've read so far that you saw the same thing where it's saying Kevin Hart wants to do a remake yeah. of Scrooge. Yep. <laughs> uh, exactly. Summed up very succinctly for both of us. Uh. <sighs> You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? And that'll bring us to our main event in today's episode. Solo, a Star Wars story. The uh, most recent one-off movie in the Star Wars uh, franchise. There have only been two, right? Yep, this and Rogue One, that's it. Oh, right, they're doing, like, the Mandalorian and stuff is going to be for Disney+. TV Plus. shows, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, in this movie, we get to see the uh, some of the beginnings of the uh, Han Solo character that uh, I would say most of us love and adore from the Star Wars universe. Still still very difficult to see anyone in that role other than, uh, you know, the amazing Harrison Ford. And that's the problem with doing some of these movies is that characters like this who are inhabited by let's say Harrison Ford type actors. I mean, you're not, you're not going to recast a young, well, at least not now, young Indiana Jones. You're not going to recast. You shouldn't do. You and I talked about this when they were talking about making this, we didn't really want to see a young Han Solo. No, not at all. That maybe a young Lando movie would have been actually more interesting with a little bit of Han Solo. But so you saw this recently. I saw this a couple months ago. What do you think right off the bat? (sighs) I still think that this wasn't necessarily a movie that was screaming to be made. I think one of the charms of Han Solo is that you don't necessarily know his entire backstory. I think that it certainly ended up being a better movie than I was expecting. I had very low expectations between the casting of... uh, I'm going to butcher the poor guy's name because, you know, he's not... 
<laughs> see Alden Ehrenreich, I think, or Ehrenreich, Alden Ehrenreich. Between his casting, which was controversial to begin with because he's not magically Harrison Ford, <laughs> with the firing debacle of Lord and Miller, Chris Miller, and moving on to Ron Howard. Like this, there's there is so much set up for me not to be excited about this movie and i mean i didn't watch it until we we decided to do a podcast about it it's been out since last year it's been on netflix for months and i just like i don't i don't need to know necessarily about how han solo became han solo part of his appeal to me at least is that there's a little bit of mystery in his backstory Uh, the first the first like 45 the movie is like just over two hours long in the first 45 minutes to 50 minutes of movie i could not connect to this movie at all i was kind of surprised that that train heist happened so early because people talked about it being a huge centerpiece of the film and it happened within the first half hour and i just i could not lock into this movie for the first half hour 45 minutes like until honestly until lando showed up you know you mentioned the idea of finding a lando calrissian movie more appealing like really when lando calrissian showed up not only is Donald Glover phenomenal, he found the perfect balance of having the charisma and the vibe of Billy D. Williams without doing a straight-up impression of him. When he showed up, I felt like it felt more like a Star Wars movie. Like Rogue One, through the whole thing, they did a very good job of it being its own film, but it felt like a Star Wars movie still. This didn't feel like a Star Wars movie until Donald Glover showed up, and then all of a sudden... It seemed to click in just the right way. Where I mean, even even Han Solo, his performance seemed to get a little bit better, just because there was that other person to play off of. And I mean, and really, I felt like he did his best work playing off of someone when he was interacting with Chewbacca. Even I thought that's when he did his best work because it felt more, you know, more like a legitimate young Han Solo like when I didn't I didn't feel like it was Han Solo when he was talking to Amelia Clark's character I didn't feel like when he was going back and forth with Woody Harrelson it didn't it just didn't feel quite right and there's nothing I can really say to quantify it but there was just some kind of charisma or some kind of chemistry that wasn't quite there until you added Lando and Chewbacca and you went further down the line from there I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I know you're a few months out from having seen it, but what did you, what did you think of kind of the movie as a whole and what he did as Han Solo? Kind of very similar to how you seem to feel about it as well. Um, but I also saw it, even though it was a couple of months ago, after you know the whole debacle of its opening. I, I think it did moderately well, but uh, you know it didn't really get people were trashing it pretty pretty soundly when it came out, from what I recall, and so. My expectations, like yours, were lower, and that always tends to help a movie out when you're watching it. So yeah, at the at the end, I would say it wasn't that positive for me, but I still, yeah, I just, uh, I didn't really need to know. I don't, I don't think we ever really needed to see a younger, more naive Han Solo, right? I mean, that that's not Han Solo. That's not the the character that we have all seen not not grow up but you know we've we've seen on the screen for 40 40 years worth of movies yeah uh i mean granted it's only eight movies but 40 years <laughs> worth of movies it's not like marvel where they got 22 movies in 10 years but that's true yeah 
yeah, even though I don't think you know, Alden did a, a bad job, I think it's it's just just it's just not, not Han. I think most people would agree. Uh, but you do make a good point that when he's playing off of the other characters, like in that first 30 or 40 minutes, like when we see Han and, and Chewie meet up for the first time, I mean, that that's honestly good stuff. I enjoy, I mean, whenever Chewie's on screen, when is it not good stuff, right? <laughs> I love Chewbacca. So that's all good. And, you know, we always, we always see Han understanding Chewie, but we never, I don't think this is the first time we actually hear him speak to Chewie in Chewie's language, I think. Oh, that's a good point. No, so I think you're right. Little little things like that. And like you said, playing off Lando, who Donald Glover does. I kind of look at this in the same way that I looked at Chris Pine playing Captain Kirk. Like, really, the only time he did any kind of William Shatnerism is at the end of the first Star Trek remake where he looked over at McCoy and he just goes, Bones! Like, really quick. Like, there's, like, one word, one line. It was the only time he really did any kind of Shatnerific performing. But he still had that charisma that he still had that... Something that makes Captain Kirk Captain Kirk that William Shatner was able to give to it. He still embodied that character in a way that felt like he belonged as Captain Kirk. Whereas I don't feel like Alden did the same thing unless he was really firing on all cylinders with someone, you know, specifically that Han was connected to, like Lando Calrissian or Chewbacca. Like, Woody Harrelson's character, like, I I really... (laughs) I love Woody Harrelson. I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff he's done, but for some reason I could not get past him being Woody Harrelson... And I also, his hair, I found his hair very distracting. I found his very strange toupee-like hair constantly blowing his face. And it seems like such a crass surface thing to be thinking about. But as I'm watching, all I could see is the hair just... <laughs> and, and and again, there were, you know, there were, and I, I mentioned this in our podcast about stuff before. There was moments where I felt like it was hitting just right, but it really wasn't... You know, in the trailer, for example, there was a a moment where they almost get killed in the Millennium Falcon, and he looks over at Chewbacca and Amelia Clark's character was at Kiara, and he just looks over and he's like, "We're fine. We're we're gonna be fine. We're fine." And then something crazy, and like even just that one line or two, there was there was that cut like he just all of a sudden Han Solo was there and he was Han Solo and it felt right. But and I think I think you brought up the most critical point that like seeing Han Solo as a young naive person felt really wrong and that's just that's not Han Solo to me my the Han Solo I can imagine like the Harrison Ford Han Solo has always been confident regardless of whether he was 15 or whether he was you know 60 something in The Force Awakens so I think we've talked about this before in the Star Wars extended universe Uh, do you do you know much about the books that they had and like is there like a young Han Solo history that existed prior to them kind of wiping all those books out or do you, like do you know anything about that or no no I know nothing except for the movies so all, all the books I don't, I don't even watch there are a couple of animated TV shows I think like Clone Wars and stuff like that and yeah, yeah I don't I don't know anything about any of that or, well, or I, really anything <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, but specifically to Star Wars. I have never no. seen a Star Wars film. Uh, no, I do not know if that is the case or not. You actually bring up a very good point. When my wife and I were watching this, there were several key moments in this movie and several characters that connect to the Clone Wars. I think Clone Wars is one, and I can't remember what the other one is, uh, the animated uh, TV shows. And I feel like if you're missing those things, you're missing a significant chunk of plot and characters Hmm. in some of these movies. Like, I, I know that Darth Maul, for example, being alive was kind of a surprise reveal for people that he was kind of pulling the strings, except apparently he's yeah. been alive in the Clone Wars for a season or two. And, you know, he's got the metal legs and all this stuff. And I had no idea because I never watched him. Oh, so is he supposed to be alive after the events of... Yeah, when like he, he shows survived? up... Like, yes. Episode one? Yep. This, this oh, takes place after episode one. Because I think the idea is that Han Solo is a little older than Luke Skywalker... And Anakin and all that, but the idea that Darth Maul—if you—if you watch the movie again, and you can't really see it because he's in the hologram and he's got the cloak, but he's got metal legs, so he's been cut in half, has been given metal legs, and is still alive. Interesting. And this, and this has been going on throughout some of these animated series, and I had no idea. Like, I guess Ray Park has still been playing his voice, uh, or no? Uh, I think Ray Park was. I'm not. I'm not sure if Ray Park is playing his voice or not in the cartoon. Um, but yeah, his character has been alive for a while and this was, this was a thing and it's like, okay, you know, we had a bunch of situations like that where apparently you have to watch everything to even know (laughs) who some of these characters are. So I don't even know. Yeah. Cause that's certainly something that I thought about. It's like, how old is Han supposed to be? (laughs) Yeah. The, yeah. The timeline I guess is correct though. Cause I guess his, I guess Obi-Wan Killed, tried, you know, supposedly killed him in episode one, and then he showed up in the Clone Wars, and then I oh, Star Wars Rebels is the other series, and then he showed up in Solo. Oh, Sam Witwer. So Ray Park plays the actual character, and then his voice was this uh, guy named Sam Witwer, and he's been playing the voice this whole time. And so I guess this takes place after episode one. That's really weird. That so feels like they got a whole bunch of backlash for killing this awesome character, and they're like, how can we bring him back? I think that's absolutely <laughs> what they got, because he was this really cool character that they killed him off after one movie, and that was it. Like, you think he's going to be the new Darth Vader, and suddenly he's just done at the end of it. But, yeah, I mean, and it's and it's tough, because I don't, I don't know how much of the vibe being off has to do with the director change or because it's still the same, right? Like they still use the same script. Like Lawrence Kazan and his son wrote this script and the big problem they had with Lord Miller directing it was that the tone was wrong and that they were improvising and doing all this stuff. And so this is apparently still the script they wanted to shoot, but it just, it just, it did not feel like a full cohesive Star Wars movie to me until, like I said, until Lando showed up. And even after that, it was only kind of in chunks. And I also felt like a lot of the heist stuff was confusing. I didn't know who they were stealing stuff from. I don't know who they were stealing it for. I didn't know what they were stealing sometimes. Yeah, everybody so- at some point had a reveal that they were actually working for some someone else. Like the, uh- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think what's going to be what was to me kind of the thread for this one, even though overall I would say it was an enjoyable movie, is that 
so much of that is playing on okay we know these characters when we see the Millennium Falcon it's like oh you know in your brain it's like that's well, it's awesome exciting, so, yeah. so yeah and you know Chewie and you know even though as we've both been saying you know the it's hard to see anyone else's Han but Glover's performance as Lando very cool and, and stuff like that so they're already starting on like say second base if you want to do a, a baseball <laughs> analogy they've got all this stuff and people that are going to watch this are already on board for the most part and so they they have little to do to make it worthwhile to watch, I guess, you know, even though overall in the scheme and, you know, in the hierarchy of Star Wars movies that this, this, this lacks, like if this didn't include Han and Londo, like this would have been kind of a cool, if they could have tied it in a different way, like Rogue One, like Rogue One, you know, all these characters are going to essentially die by the end. Even though when you're watching it, you're invested in it, and then it kind of clicks like two thirds of the way through. It's like, oh god, that's right, all these people are going to die at the end. But you still <laughs> kind of feel it, right? You still are invested in some of the characters, and then they tie it in at the very, very end to what uh, eventually will happen at the beginning of um, A New Hope, right? Episode four. That's a testament to how well done that film is. That you know how it's going to end, and you're still pulling for these characters you're still like well maybe they won't kill him maybe he won't die maybe the you know he gets away and they don't realize it and you know that's that's just a testament to how well it was written and how engaged you are with these characters that you're still and and i didn't have that same feeling with this like you knew where these characters were going to end up but at the same time i didn't it didn't quite grab me that way and, and again you make a very good point that i i still ended up enjoying this movie as a film itself, like there was a lot of great imagery, there was a lot of very exciting scenes. Once the Millennium Falcon comes into th- into the film, there's a lot of great moments with them flying the Falcon around and the stuff they do with that, and it feels a lot more like a Star Wars movie and has the same vibe and has the same excitement. But I don't know, like I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if part of it was coming in with a preconceived notion that there was trouble with the directors, or a preconceived notion that I didn't want to know more about Han Solo. But yeah, I mean, I I certainly I certainly did not dislike the movie as much as I thought I was going to. But I really feel like it could have been so much more if it didn't have some of that baggage. Uh, you know, because people were saying all the time they're like, oh, there's already been a young Han Solo. His name was Harrison Ford, and he shot his scenes in 1978 or whatever. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I totally and feel so, that way, honestly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it, the boat I'm in. You and I talked about this at one point, too, that I think that releasing it so close to episode eight was not necessarily a good idea because Marvel seems to be able to pull off having a couple films released a year, but it doesn't seem like Star Wars is the kind of series where you need a so-called Skywalker saga film plus a standalone. And then like a year and a half later, you get the next film in the Skywalker saga plus your next stand. Like it really feels like it should be some distance between them to kind of let them breathe and have their own, you know, I mean, everything is, you know, simple as a promotional cycle up to them being able to put all their creative effort into doing this one movie instead of kind of splitting your creative forces between a standalone and, you know, your main series of movies. Yeah, if, if I had watched this, like, anywhere near when it opened, I, it's possible I would have hated it. You know, this is that kind of thing, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. We, we were able to just kind of sit back and not watch it. Honestly, mostly because I didn't want to watch it but uh, at, at the time. <laughs> but when you're separated from that, I mean, it came out, like, what five months after the last Jedi, and I, it it plays into the fact that 
I know a lot of people were not exactly happy with The Last Jedi also. So I think we were, as a Star Wars fan base, probably a little bit fatigued and not in the right mindset for another Star Wars movie that they necessarily didn't want in the first place also. <laughs> so. No, that's a good point. That's a lot of people probably felt the way that you said. I mean, it's, it's spot on that there was a lot of negative reaction to Last Jedi. And I mean, this this movie just had a lot stacked against it to begin with and and but at the same time i also felt the same way about rogue one i didn't watch rogue one until it ended up on a streaming service a year and a half after it came out or something like that and it wasn't even that i necessarily thought it looked bad i just i wasn't quite sure how i felt about the idea of watching a star wars movie that wasn't part of this well i mean at the time six film but you know then it became a nine film cycle I just I didn't even know how I felt about it necessarily, and then I heard such great things about it, and finally watched it and thought it was one of the best Star Wars films they had, even though it was made outside of the timeline and made with a different set of characters for the most part. I mean, you know, Darth Vader showed up in what like two scenes or something. Yeah. So I think it was the same situation where I think they had a little bit more distance, and there was a lot more nostalgia and people were excited about their, you know, this once dormant franchise kind of coming back to life that, you know, and I, I think they worked a little harder to get it right. And I think there was a lot less pressure on them based on the films. They were, you know, there was a pretty decent reaction to Force Awakens other than the people who thought it was kind of a rehash of New Hope. And I think, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I mean, even, even personally, I feel like I was kind of biased against Solo from the announcement on through its troubled production. And I think that, I think that you're exactly right. I think if they had waited a little bit longer and kind of let people miss star Wars a little bit before solo came out, I think they could have made a better film and had kind of a better reaction to it. Yeah. Cause force awakens came out and, and these are all coming out in like December or something like that it came out in uh, 2015. And then like a full year later was rogue one. And then a full year later was last Jedi. And yep. then we get hit with Solo, like, less than six months. It was just too much. And then we're getting, and then it's going to take over a year or, yeah, maybe to get to, uh, yeah, more than a year to get back to episode nine to finish it out. And Yeah, and I think they've even, I think they've even come out and said that they're going to take a break from Star Wars movies in general, it seems like they're going to be focusing on a, on a TV series for their new Disney Plus service, and that might be the right idea just to kind of work towards letting people miss them a little bit before they show up again and put some time into making some really good movies. Although it looks like, was it David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, have their trilogy coming out starting in 2022, it seems as though. 2022, 2024, and 2026 are every two years in December. Huh. But you know, but again, they at least they get three years off Star Wars, and there doesn't seem to be anything that's been announced outside of that so far. So I don't don't remember seeing this anywhere. Is Ryan Johnson's supposed to? He was supposed to do a couple movies past in like his own new trilogy. Is that is that done for? That's a good question. There seems to be a lot of debate as to where that seems to be in in the uh in the in the planning stages or if it's been canceled or not there seems to be some <laughs> disagreement and not necessarily cuz I don't see anything here like I'm looking at and granted it's wikipedia which isn't 100% accurate but hmm. just looking at the timeline 
you've got Rise of Skywalker listed in December of 2019, and then these uh, Benioff and Weiss films starting in 2022, and there's not even a mention of Ryan, Ryan Johnson. Johnson's trilogy. So I don't know. Well, I guess it does. I guess it says it's in development. So it says Lucasfilm has a number of Star Wars movies in development, including a trilogy written by Ryan Johnson. So maybe that's supposed to come after the Benioff Weiss films. I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. We will find out. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I I kind of come down on the fact that like. Like, I had a lot of fun watching it, at least the last hour and a half of it I could have done without the first 40 minutes of it or so. Like, the, like I was kind of surprised to see Han Solo in, like, a war, like a battle scene, like a random, you know, he got, like, drafted into. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know that that was any kind of event in his history necessarily, and so I don't know. I just didn't. It seems like. And you you see that that part of the movie where he's you know he's separated from Kira and he's trying to figure out what his next move is going to be. Um, you feel like Han would have found a different way to go than to ever joining the Empire, right? Even though that looked like maybe the easiest way out of that situation, like he would have obviously found like you know some smugglers or something, and you know. You wouldn't think that Han would need to go into the Empire to quote unquote become a pilot, right? Han is He was he was born a pilot. I don't know. That's the vibe you kinda of get from the movies though. You you don't necessarily feel like he was in a situation where he was this naive kid who sucked at flying until he had the. I mean, now granted, I mean, I could see why they would do this. I could see why they would try and come up with reasoning behind it and come up with actual stories behind it. But it's just it, that just it. When you watch those original films, you're not thinking to yourself, "Well, how did he become a good pilot?" You just feel like he came out of the womb as this great cocky pilot that didn't need to necessarily join the Empire to learn that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. And the reveal of his name. <laughs> it, it seems like in another movie like with like another character that would seem funny and you know that's how but uh yeah i don't know about how they decided to give us the han solo name yep, i'm with you i didn't i was fine with some of the humor they had in this film it, it seemed to fit and it seemed to make sense but there was a lot of yeah there was a lot of instances especially like that where i was just like it felt very wrong and it felt shoehorned in and yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, I mean, like like we've been saying, we just Han just seemed like who he is for those you know seven movies, I guess, that we saw him in in the original the Star Wars movies, and um, I mean the the Han that we know and love is the one that said "I know" after Leia said "I love you," and that's just not the Han that we see as you. We think he's like that all the time, even when he was young. So I don't know. It doesn't seem to fit. I think that's the problem. As good as the movie actually is, like you said, set pieces. It looks great. There's some really great stuff, visuals in this movie. Oh, yeah, totally. But uh, it's the wrong character to do it with, I think. (laughs) Even old Han Solo, like, I mean, Harrison Ford slipped right back into that character again. 
Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, how old is he now? And it still felt like you were watching an older version of Han Solo. And even though some things had changed, like it seemed like he'd become more accepting of the Force and things like that. And he had this history with General Leia and Ben Solo and all this stuff happened. It still felt so right. It really felt like he just, you know, it's like putting on a pair of pants. Like he just, he turned it on and he was Han Solo. Whereas in this case, it didn't, you know, outside of sporadic moments, it didn't feel like they had pulled that off as well as you'd hope they would in this movie. And They should have just had uh, Harrison Ford do it and then just de-age him for the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been on board with that. I, that, that. That is a solo A Star Wars movie <laughs> I would have been looking forward to for sure. As you wish. All right, that leads us to our final segment we call the Reboot Wishlist, where we take a look at ideas for reboots, sequels, or reimaginings that we are dying to see put out there. Justin, what is on your Reboot Wishlist this episode? It actually popped up on TV the other night, and uh, I was thinking, well, you know what? In in light of all the Disney live-action remakes that are coming down the pipe, and uh, I believe we are certainly going to be in in store for a few i think uh little mermaid is already in the pipeline at some point or at least they're talking about that the one that i saw last night or that i noticed on tv last night that i do not think is being talked about yet but i think actually could use a a remake and a retooling is pocahontas i want to say pocahontas I, th- I think there's a lot they can they can do with that one um it was even the original was one of the first times that you know Native Americans were portrayed themselves because a lot of the character voices were, were also Native American uh, voice actors and uh, you know and regular actors. But um, no, I totally forgot it was Mel Gibson too. But you know we can skip over that. <laughs> uh, but that was that was you know that was kind of in the the heart of the Lion King, Aladdin. You know that that stretch of movies for them. Well, towards the end. And we're getting a Mulan live-action remake in the next year or so, and um, I think Pocahontas is a good one. They could they could right some wrongs, and even though they, I mean, the story of Pocahontas is you know I don't know the entire story. There's, there's so many different ways they could tell it. They could fix some of the inaccuracies that they had, and uh, maybe not make her so in love with John Smith, and just kind of you know. <laughs> but then they also still have. Um, you know, the colors of the wind and just like a few great songs like they always do that they play off of. So, I don't know. What, what do you think of that? I think it's not a bad idea. I, I agree that it was kind of a troubled film in that there was, there was you know, from what I heard, a lot of historical inaccuracies and the romance between the two of them was kind of forced. And, and again, I, I could be wrong just because I don't know the exact history, but I would, I think that you could look back at it and say that there were obviously problems with the movie and inconsistencies historically that you could maybe like exactly like you said kind of right some wrongs and the the idea of being able to feature actors that actually had native american heritage i think would be a, a nice way to have more of a realistic connection to the history of it too so yeah i, I could definitely see them doing that It'd be a good one to take a look at for sure yeah, so in the little research I was doing on it, so some Native American nations, you know, thought it was, you know, a total distortion of historical events, but a couple of the actors that 
lent their their voices to the movie um, said that it's it's still one of the first times that the story has been told that really I mean they literally just came out and said a lot of the British and Europe Europeans that came over were to kill Indians and you know rape and pillage and they 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 certainly played uh, showed some of that in the Pocahontas and the, you know the kill I mean whenever you kill someone in a Disney movie you know yeah it's a little tricky <laughs> so it's uh for the time it was revolutionary or you know somewhat revolutionary but um they could still do better and also in terms of the live action remake it would look just fine because it would just be people <laughs> <laughs> Not like a green, like a blue genie. So I think that would make it more sense for me too. <laughs> that was my choice. What about you? What's what's your what's on your wish list this time? Well, this time around, I decided to go the Justin Saint Ange route of tying in my wish list item with the topic at hand, and it's kind of like a dual purpose wish list item. A, after seeing Solo. I really don't want them to make a Boba Fett movie. I really, on my wish list, is for them to stay off a Boba Fett movie. Okay. But, but, I'm actually kind of interested in the prospect of an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Uh. They had kind of talked about it with Ewan McGregor because he's still around, and I think he was one of the best parts of the prequel trilogy anyways. I thought he not only captured Alec Guinness's performance, but also other nuances of that character that were his own that I, I think that having him do a standalone Kenobi movie A I'm kind of interested to see what happened between those prequels and again a lot of it's been taken care of in Rebels and Clone Wars those two series but I'd love to see Ewan McGregor take on that character in a standalone movie just to kind of see what happened between him losing Anakin, and then how he ended up as hermit on Tatooine. I mean, I don't know what he th- what he having just looked at Solo and getting your brain into the Star Wars franchise. What do you think about that? Actually, I think I would be totally on board with that as well. Um, so, like you said, in between the three prequels and uh, the events of uh, the next three, four, five, and six, there's a lot that they, they could do and I, I think they wouldn't fall into what some of the problems that we've had uh, we talked about with Solo is that more than likely it would just be Obi-Wan right and and not too many other characters that we know already and since we don't know or like you said since we don't really watch the, the animated maybe they've gone over that but live action we don't know what he has been doing as a hermit uh, all those years probably keeping an eye on Luke but you know all, all that stuff and there it could it could do a little like at the end of Rogue One where we kind of see him seeing Luke at the end of a Star Wars story for Obi-Wan I'd totally be on board with it and with uh, Ewan McGregor reprising the role because like like you said I think he was maybe the best part if not it's definitely one of the best parts of the the prequels totally I think that's that's an excellent choice and you and I were thinking the same way, the idea of being able to kind of end a solo Obi-Wan movie with a direct connection to A New Hope would be kind of fun, so, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and speaking of, since you mentioned it, Boba Fett, which I would probably also not want to see in his, his own movie, um, I guess I haven't really looked. What is The Mandalorian about? That's not about <laughs> Boba Fett, or is that just about the race? 
I don't know. I think it's about the race, but I don't know. They're, they've been very tight-lipped as to what it's going to be about, and so I don't know. It seems to be... I mean, it says it takes place five years after Return of the Jedi and follows a lone Mandalorian gunfighter, but it might shed more light uh, on Jango and Boba Fett, but, I mean, they're both, in theory, dead at this point, and so I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. So we might learn a little bit more about them, even though it doesn't necessarily focus on those characters specifically. Okay. Which I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah. All right, and that is it for this episode of Movies Never Say Die. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'd also appreciate it if you take a moment to leave us a review on uh, whichever preferred app you use for uh, listening to podcasts. It will help us to reach new listeners. Also, if you want to get in touch for any other reason, we'd love some feedback, maybe a suggestion for a movie reboot, sequel, or franchise for us to take a look at in the future. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Movies Never Say Die. And also hit us up on Twitter at Movies NVR Say Die. This has been Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. I'm Batman. I freeze. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I never had to say I'm Batman. I showed up. People knew I was Batman. You like movies? Hundreds of movies. 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 Never say die!